This is episode number 271, Motivation and Inspiration with podcast host and runner, Lindsay Hine. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, expanding the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. It's okay to be grumpy and be frustrated that you're injured or be frustrated that you're uncomfortable because you're pregnant and you want to run 10 miles, but it doesn't feel good. But if you can get your mindset in a way where you can shift it and think about like, what can I do now that I wouldn't have had time to spend energy on, I think that you'll be a lot happier. I just wanted to start off today just saying thanks. Thanks for being a listener and a subscriber of the show. Thank you to those of you who have left us reviews or rated the show. It really helps others find it. And it's a little bit of wind in our sails as well. And huge thank you to my Patreon subscribers who are financially supporting the show. You can do that at patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. I have some very exciting news. We finally got childcare. Oh my gosh, it's been crazy. We moved to Squamish in June and it's almost impossible to find childcare here. In fact, daycares have two to three year waiting lists and it's it's really, really hard to find a nanny. Uh, but we finally did. So we have a nanny that's going to be helping us for about 28 hours per week. And I was trying to figure out the right amount of childcare so that I could still feel like I'm spending time with Bradley and not missing out on quality time with him while he's this little, but also enough where I can train as much as I need to train to race at the highest level, especially as I come back from pregnancy next March, and also to have more energy for my business. I'm really proud of what I've been able to accomplish in the last 19 months, doing it mostly on my own with the help of my husband to watch Bradley so that I can train. But almost all of my work accomplishments have happened during nap times, and it's stressful and it's hard, but I'm so glad that I did. And we've had our nanny for a couple of days And it just feels like I can breathe again. And it feels like I have the energy to think more big picture again, too. So I'm really excited about that. That's a great segue into this week's guest, Lindsay Hine, who is a mom of four. And she also runs her own business. She's an amazing runner. And she's somebody that I really enjoy talking to. We first connected on Twitter. In fact, social media is a really great place for connecting with new friends and then being able to take that relationship and deepen it through phone calls or podcasts or just email. I also appeared on Lindsay's podcast. It's called I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine, and you should definitely go check that out. In fact, when I appear on other podcasts, I always make sure that I share that in my weekly newsletter that comes out every single Monday. And the newsletter is themed around motivation and mindset, where I write a thought of the week for you. I share the week's podcast, and I share other things like podcasts that I've been on, books that I'm reading, and other things that will help you find your best. So you can go to sonyalooney.com slash newsletter to get in on my email list that goes out every single Monday. Now getting back to Lindsay, she is a running coach. She has run a ton of marathons, and she also has founded her own podcast network, Sandy Boy Productions. It has a few different podcasts, and she also recently put out another podcast where she is the host that's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? And it's a parenting podcast. In this week's conversation, we talked about running, consistency, expectations, time management, and so much more. And Lindsay knows a lot about this, as I mentioned, as a mom of four, which is hard to even imagine with just being a mom of one myself. 
I love Lindsay because she is so authentic and it just feels like you're hanging out with your best friend whenever you are listening to her or talking with her. Make sure to check out her podcast and follow her social media as well. Some key takeaways that you can tuck into your back pocket moving forward are the courage to try something new. And this is something that is so important for so many of us. How Lindsay got into running, how to stay consistent, how to meet yourself where you are with expectations. And this is such a powerful topic and one that I like talking about often. We talked about how to be proud of your performances no matter where they lie. We also talked about why she loves reading. And reading is something that I love doing that I do every single day. So it was fun to talk to a fellow reader. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are that you are interested in finding your best. And Inside Tracker is a company that helps athletes find their best through blood work. And as a podcast listener, you can get 25% off all Inside Tracker blood tests. Go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia. And I've been using Inside Tracker tests since 2017. They have an algorithm that has a lot of research behind it that looks at a ton of different biomarkers in your blood and then makes diet and lifestyle recommendations to improve those biomarkers so that not only can you be healthy, but you can be performing at your best. And if you just go to a doctor and just get like a CBC or a regular blood test, the reference ranges on those tests is basically just to keep you alive, not to make sure that you're performing as an athlete. And they also have other goals there too. If you aren't performance oriented as an athlete and you want to take better care of your heart or get better sleep, there's a lot of different goals that you can set and then you can make these changes as you go. It's really empowering to get behind the wheel of your own health and be able to get these results because a lot of times it just seems like you go to the doctor and they just tell you what to do. And I personally, as a questioner and somebody likes that likes to understand why people are telling me things, I like having access to this data. And their website is also amazing. There's tons of great articles on there. And I've even had Stevie Lynn, who is one of their in-house nutritionists on the podcast as well. And that was recently. So go back and check that episode out as well. Go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia for 25% off all Inside Tracker tests. I highly recommend it. Okay, so let's get into this week's episode with Lindsay Hine. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's been so fun to connect with you. I think we first connected on Twitter and then I got to go on your podcast and just to get to know you has been so much fun. And I hope we get to go for a run at some point together too. Me too. I loved interviewing you. It was like, I I'm so used to interviewing runners and talking all running talk, but it was fun because you did mountain bike talk and running talk and mom talk. So just loved tapping into your mindset as well. And I know that my listeners loved hearing from a different kind of guest. Thank you. Something that I think is really fun about you and your podcast is that Whenever people are listening to you, it just kind of feels like you're hanging out with your best friend and you do such a good job of just like being somebody that's just so easy to, I guess people aren't physically around you, but just to be around and to listen to, it just feels so natural. That is like the highest compliment. Thank you so much. You know, I started that show. It's called I'll Have Another because I was listening to a podcast that had a similar vibe and I felt like I would go for runs and I was just kind of sitting in on these interesting conversations that inspired me to do good things. And so I was like, I want to do that with runners. And it's fun because it's super casual, but I do try to pull out like deeper stories when it feels appropriate. Yeah. And that's, I think that that takes a special type of listener to be able to do that. 
Sometimes it's funny though, with my podcast, if someone brings up like God or faith or going to church or anything like that, I'm like, Ooh, let me get in there really deep because I'm so <laughs> interested in, in that. And I sometimes think I throw people off guard because if they are not listening on a regular basis, they don't know that's something I'm interested in. They're like, Whoa, we're going there. Okay. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, something, one of the categories on this podcast is inspiring stories and you're living an inspired life. Like I want to get into all the different things you're passionate about, but so many people want to, you know, chase after their dreams and do the things that they have always wanted to do. And there's reasons that people come up with why they can't do it or why they're not good enough to do it. And you have been able to, you know, build this life out of pursuing the things that you love. And also, like you mentioned with the podcast, wanting something that was missing in the space and just going after it. So what, like, what do you attribute that to that courage to just go after the things that you want? Well, I think that more than anything, I'm scared to not try something new. Like, for instance, we just moved to Raleigh, North Carolina from Indianapolis. And I kept saying like, we're fine in Indianapolis. We don't have to move to North Carolina for my husband's job. Like he could have traveled once a month or something like that. And we could have made do staying in Indy. But I just kept being like, what if North Carolina is where we're supposed to be? So I think when I get an idea in my head and I feel like this nudge to pursue it, I'm just so afraid that if I don't try, I'll never know what it could have been and that I'll live with this disappointment. And so like with my podcast, that's kind of how I felt. And that was five years ago. But even more recently in October, I started another podcast, which felt really scary to me because... I was thinking, is this too much me? Like, does anybody want to hear me talking twice in two episodes a week, you know? And I also was afraid it was just going to be too much noise. There's so much noise out there. There's so many podcasts, so much content to take in and consume. And I was afraid that I would just be one more piece of noise. So I've worked really hard to make sure that's not what it is. But the what if just kept sitting there. And so I could have just stayed comfortable with my running podcast and that's still going on and I still love it. But I knew I wanted to try something more and something different. And so instead of being fearful about what people would think of me or think it's too much, I just did it. And we're and, and it's going, you know, and it's it's not nearly as popular as the running podcast yet. But we were just talking offline about this. Like I'm working on hiring someone to help me out to get the marketing and the promotion and, and get that flowing. So to answer your question, I kind of just rambled on that, but it's the fear of what I would be missing if I just sat around and thought about it and didn't do it. Yeah. So the, the fear of either change or the fear of coming up short is much less than the fear of not exploring the what if. Yeah. And I also think that we get to a place where we think people expect a certain thing from us. You know, I always was like, people think of me as the person who hosts interviews for runners. And if I do something different, am I not going to be what the people who have been following me for all these years want? And you have to kind of just like step back because guess what? We change and we grow. And if I just stayed the same and I only stayed interested in the same things that I was interested in five, six years ago. Well, I feel like that'd be kind of boring for me and for my followers. So I think that you just kind of have to like rid yourself of caring, 
even though you're going to care, like you're going to care at some point, but of caring if people will think, well, that's not what I was here for. Why is she doing something different? And just embrace what you love to do. Yeah. You mentioned with starting your second podcast, like you were nervous about it just being like another, more noise to use your words, or maybe even just like the fear of it, not getting the listenership, you putting in all this work and not getting the same listenership. So how have you wrestled with that? Cause I know a lot of people, you know, they want to start something new or they feel like, Oh, everybody's already doing it. So, you know, if I do it now, it's I'm too late. So I shouldn't even start. Like, how do you, how do you wrestle with that? Yeah. And I think with podcasting specifically, because there's just so many podcasts out there. Yeah. I kind of went into the parenting podcast knowing it's going to be really hard to build up a show to what I've built my other show up to be. That's been five years in the making. Also, when I started I'll Have Another, there wasn't as much out there. Like there just weren't as many options for people to listen to. Right now, if you search parenting podcast, I have no idea how many pop up, but it's probably a ton. And I think this is what I always tell people with podcasting. If you want to start a podcast or anything, a blog, whatever it is, you have to do it because you feel passionate about it and you want to do it and you think you're going to have fun doing it, not because you want to make money doing it. Right. And so I, and that's why I started the parenting podcast. I felt like I was going to enjoy learning from parents who were experts on certain topics and therapists and just different people in the field. I was really getting interested in positive parenting. And I just wanted to ask people questions. So I think that if you come from a place of curiosity and that's why you're starting it and that's why you're doing it, then you'll see more success. Whereas you're just think, oh, I could do this well because I have a platform, you know? Yeah. So being curious and doing it for kind of the right reasons, not because you're trying to achieve a certain outcome. Right. Exactly. So how did you get into running? So my best friend begged me to join her in the cross country team on the cross country team when we were sophomores in high school. And actually freshman year, I joined the track team. And so anyway, I started running cross country my sophomore year of high school and really enjoyed it. Ran all throughout high school was so thankful when it was over though, because I got so nervous for races. And so I just kind of ran to stay in shape in college. And then in 2008, my husband and I got married and decided to run our first marathon. And so we did that. I qualified for Boston and decided I'll run Boston because that's like a dream people have for years. And I was able to achieve that goal the first time, which note to the listeners, like, standards are way faster now than they were in 2008. You had to run a 340 and I ran a 339.52. So I was like right there. Yeah. And also it was different back then too. I think you had a whole minute over. So like, I think I actually could have ran 340.59 even. It just, the demand for Boston now is just crazy. It wasn't like that back in the day when we just had our Timex watches and, you know, it's just totally the running culture is so different now. But so I did that and just continued to run marathons since then. And I think I've run six, 17, maybe I I don't know the exact number, but I just love it. What do you love about it? I love how it makes me feel. I love the energy that it gives me. I love that it kind of like flows into the rest of my life the energy I have to give my kids, the energy I have to give my business, the energy I have to clean the house. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. 
I'm just happier when I run and when I do it consistently. So it's definitely changed over the years what it looks like because I have four kids now. And so it's just a different priority than it was maybe 10 years ago, but it's still very much a part of my life and my husband's lives and really our kids' lives. Yeah. Consistency seems to be one of the hardest things for long-term habits. So like for running you have and, and cycling and anything that you want to be good at, you have to consistently do it with podcasting. Like you have to consistently do it. And we don't always want to show up every single week or every single day to these things. So how have you overcome that, that resistance and that heavy part of not wanting to be consistent sometimes? Oh yeah. I have been, I'm the person that fully embraces a break. So if I, after I have a baby, for instance, I'm like six weeks where I have no pressure to do anything except for take care of this baby. And I think that that has really helped me have a healthy balance with my mindset with running, knowing that breaks are temporary and it's okay. And you can get back to where you were. It just takes a little bit of work, a lot of work most of the time. And also giving myself breaks. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I very much changed throughout the month, like most women probably do as far as my motivation with running, with work with just being a nice human. And I think it's very hormonal, right? Like I think I have much more energy to give every single thing in my life when I'm at a certain place in my cycle. So my point there is that on the the week before my period or something like that, if I know I'm having shifts in my motivation, I know it's hormone related. I give myself a break, right? It's not to say I'm just like, I'm not going to run this week but I just give myself a break and I set different expectations. And a lot of times, for instance, this move to North Carolina, we just had, I just said to myself, look, in this season and these few weeks, these few months, even you're going to commit to moving your body 30 minutes a day, no matter what it is, because you're going to be a better person for it. You're going to feel better for it. And if that's all it is, that's okay. Because I also know at 38, that it ebbs and flows and it's going to flow back. Like I'm going to feel that itch again and that motivation again. And it's not the end of the world if I need to slow down, but I am going to commit to moving my body. That is so much self-awareness and intuition and confidence to be able to do that because a lot of people like their identity and their self-worth is tied up in doing lots of things like, or, you know, doing their sport, maybe just doing the one thing and doing a lot of it and taking a break from that feels for some people like incredibly threatening and Mm -hmm. very stressful because they're afraid of who they like, who who am I, you know, if I take six weeks off, who am I, if I'm not running or, you know, what would happen to me if for a period of time I used to run, you know, a lot, or I used to whatever, insert the thing that you're doing. And now I'm doing way less of it. So how have you actually, gotten to that point where you've been able to reset your expectations, have the confidence and the courage to meet yourself with where you are? Because that's not easy to do. Well, I think that when you're forced into it for different reasons, you have to figure it out. And if you don't, you're just going to be miserable. I remember I was, I think I was like six months postpartum with my second baby and I was getting in really good shape. And I tore my plantar fascia, which is like a big, big deal. I mean, black and blue foot, couldn't put weight on it. And I was pretty bummed because I felt like I, well, I wanted to run a marathon between babies two and three. And I just, and I was in great shape only six months postpartum. 
And I think that that was one of the first times, not the first, but one of the first times where I was forced into a break and I decided to get really interested in like making quiche, I remember. And (laughs) I remember thinking like, you need to put the time and energy that you were putting into running into learning something new or doing something new, investing that time into something that's going to make you happy. I did mourn running and I did still want to move my body because cooking quiche does not satisfy (laughs) what your body needs like working out does. But I think that finding those other passions, it's also a really cool way to do that, right? Because I feel like when we are so laser focused on one sport or one activity, we limit ourselves and do to not pursuing other things that we might really enjoy and we might be missing out on. Yeah. Personally, it was, um, let's see, I was in grad school. I was like in my early twenties and I remember thinking to myself, everything that I do for fun is physical. I go to yoga, I go running, I go, you know, on a bike ride, What would happen if I couldn't do that? Like what else could I enjoy in my life? And there was lots of other things I had done growing up. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to teach myself guitar so I can have not a non-physical outlet to enjoy myself, to experience growth, to work on something. And that was a really powerful thing to do because it taught me that I can have multiple dimensions of my life that aren't just physical that can make me feel good. Do you still play the guitar? Not as much since my son was born, but yes. <laughs> I want to get my kids signed up for some sort of music lesson. And I, I've we haven't done it yet. And I think that it's important and I don't know why we haven't. Do you plan to do that? Yeah, actually, um, it's an unofficial music lesson, but today is our first music class, but it's like, he's one and a half. They're going to be like running around banging tambourines and making noise, but yeah, he's interested in music. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Oh, for sure. I mean, I learned how to play piano pretty basically as a kid and I don't ever use it now, but I still like that I can very, very minimally read some simple basic sheet music. Yeah. So for kids, is that what, did you always want to be a mom? Yeah. I mean, I think I did. I think I always assumed I would be. And, you know, we had our first baby, uh, how long had we been married? Five or six years. And I didn't know I would have four kids, (laughs) but I think being a mom was something I assumed I would do. So how did you make that decision? Like, okay, now is the time to have a baby. Well, actually, so we were married for a year and I decided to get off birth control. And I was one of those people who are like, we'll, we'll just see what happens. And um, I actually had some struggles there. I didn't get my period back for a really long time. And then we just didn't get pregnant for like two years, even though we were not preventing getting pregnant. So I thought that's kind of odd. And so um, long story short, I, I got diagnosed with um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is so odd because I didn't meet any of the symptoms other than I wasn't getting my period. And this doctor put me on this crazy medicine and it just like hyper inducing periods. And it, anyway, it was crazy. My mom convinced me to go to another doctor. And basically my body was just having trouble sorting itself out from being on birth control for that year. And so that got sorted out. And anyway, I finally got pregnant. Uh, We had two miscarriages. And then about a year later, we got pregnant with my son. And so a year from the first miscarriage. And so, you know, when the period thing was happening, when I wasn't getting my period and we weren't getting pregnant, I was very much like, 
aware that this could be a really big struggle for us. And so I think that now even I just, I don't take any of it for granted. I don't take being pregnant for granted, even the babies that we miscarried and my heart goes out to people that are struggling with that. So I, um, I think that when you go through the struggle too, like when it's becoming a challenge for you and you realize I might not be able to biologically have my own kids that makes your desire even stronger. Right. So yeah, I don't know where else to go with that, but it was, you know, I I feel like people look at our story and think, Oh, you have four kids must be nice. Must be so must've been so easy. And it feels like that now, but it wasn't for a good, like three years, you know? Thanks so much for sharing that. That was a really vulnerable thing to share that you had peace, you know, you had to deal with PCOS and difficult medical care potentially. And then the miscarriages, because like, like you said, from the outside looking in, it always looks like everybody's life is easier than it is. And most people don't know the full story. And there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are interested in becoming a parent or are new parents and have had their own set of struggles. And you feel so alone when you're going through that. You do. I remember after my first miscarriage, my sister-in-law was having a baby shower and looking back, I'm like, maybe I should have gone, but I just didn't go because I was not in a mental state to go celebrate somebody else having a baby. And yeah, it's like sometimes that part of my life seems like so far away. Um, But at the time it was really real and it was really painful And so I always, always am thinking about that when I meet or when I meet someone who doesn't have children, you know, I always think about that. Yeah. And I think that miscarriages is something that is not talked about as much as it should be. And also I think it's underreported. Um, like personally, like I had one miscarriage before I had my son and then I'm currently pregnant and I had two miscarriages before this pregnancy began. And it was really hard. Like I felt like I felt like shame and I felt, oh, like I'm, I'm healthy. Like, why are these things happening? But like for me, like I'm, I'm 38. So I'm a bit of an older, uh, geriatric mom as they would call me (laughs) a granny mom. (laughs) But like, yeah, like I think a lot of people have miscarriages and I'm just talking about, I'm just, you know, double clicking on this because I want people to know that if they're out there and they're having these struggles, and they feel alone and they feel even shame around it. Like you're not alone and like you're doing everything right. And you just can't, there's nothing you can do about those. Yeah. I always felt like I didn't want to tell a lot of people just because I was like to other people, this probably isn't a big deal. I'm in my first trimester. And even though I was feeling like this deep loss and I knew it was super common, right? I knew that what is it? One in eight, something, a very high percentage of pregnancies in their first trimester. It's actually one in four. Is it one in four? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so I knew it was super common. So like, I guess to me, I was like, I'm nothing special. Like I don't need extra attention, but I actually remember after the second one, my sister was like, you weren't even going to tell me. And I was like, well, no, I was, but like, I just, I was going to like call you on the phone the day it happened because I know it's a common thing. Um, that being said, you know, it's like, tell your friends, tell your sisters, tell your close coworkers, whoever it is, because they will be there for you if they know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing because there's also this culture around like, don't tell anybody don't tell. that you're pregnant. Yeah. Keep it to yourself just in case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's hard too, because I get it because 
I get not like announcing it to the world on social media before, but I think that it would actually help if other people knew. And you know, some people don't tell their closest family members and friends, but for me, I always told my mom and my sisters. And so when I would miscarry, my mom would be like the first person I would call. And if she didn't know that I was even pregnant at all, she wouldn't have been able to be there for me. She'd have been caught off guard. Oh yeah. By the way, I had a miscarriage. You didn't know I was pregnant though, you know? So I think telling at least one other person outside of your partner is probably a really smart thing to do so that somebody outside of your immediate family can be there for you if you need it. Cause they're, cause they're uh, grieving too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's really great advice for people who are listening. There you go. There's your takeaway. How to put that in the quote. Um, how did you decide to have four kids? Well, we don't really plan much in, in my life. I think that because it was a little bit harder than I had anticipated at the start after every kid, we were like, well, we'll just see what happens. <laughs> and so it was, it was kind of like that. And then after four, I, I really was really tired in my last pregnancy and just exhausted. You know, when I was pregnant with my fourth, I had a five, a three and a, and a 18 month old. So my oldest turned six, two months before my youngest was born. So we were like in the thick of it, hardcore. And I just needed a break. And so now we're being extra careful not to make that happen again. (laughs) But yeah, once I knew when we had two, I looked at our family picture and I thought, this doesn't feel complete to me. And then we had three and we were, we were content and happy, but I kind of thought we'd have one more. And now we feel, Mm -hmm. we feel pretty complete. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So how does running tie into all of this? Cause I love asking people like what they're, how they exercise through their pregnancy or pregnancies and you know, how you viewed exercise slash or versus training while you're pregnant. I really took on, I I mean, I think with each pregnancy, I was probably a little less active. I was overly ambitious with my first, you know, I was a lot younger too. I was 28 when I was pregnant with my first. And so I think in general, I just had more energy also wasn't chasing after any other children at the time. I was just taking care of myself and my, my, me and my husband and our dog. And that was it. And so I did lots of like half marathons and, and really, really ran to the very end. I ran, I remember I ran like 30 minutes the day before I had him. My first was a scheduled C-section actually. So I remember I wanted to run the morning I gave birth, but I couldn't because I was like, I don't want to dehydrate myself. I don't know what I was thinking. They give you an IV, but anyway, yeah. So with each baby, I, I was a little bit less active and I actually ran up to the very end with my first three. And then with the fourth, I think I stopped running around 30 weeks. I was just like, why am I doing this to myself? This isn't fun. This doesn't feel good. I'm not enjoying it anymore. So I just started walking instead of running and it was fine. And my, my return to running was, was fine. So I think that when you're talking about pregnancy, especially with your first baby, people run into a lot of comparison. Like if they see other people being super active when they're pregnant, they think, well, I should be able to do that too. But your pregnancy is so different from anybody else's pregnancy. So I just want people to not carry that 
expectation when they see Susie or Lindsay or whoever it is running 15 miles pregnant. Like that's not super common and you shouldn't hold yourself to any expectation other than what you feel like your body can handle day to day because it's going to change too as you get further along in your pregnancy. Yeah. And in subsequent pregnancies, as you mentioned. Totally. I feel, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, 35 compared to 28, it's not that big of an age difference, but three kids later, like I felt a lot more tired, a lot more rundown and my body, like I had done this three other times. Like, I think that my body was just tired and it was like, you don't need to put all this pressure anymore. Like you don't need to run till 40 weeks. And my last two babies were an entire week late as well. So I was pregnant for a very long time. So like you mentioned comparison and you said that, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a really good thing to be seeing other active moms out there, whether they're racing or they're out walking or they're just doing whatever their sport is. But it's also important to be able to meet yourself where you're at every single day and to listen to your own body and not feel pressure from what you see other people doing. But that's a really hard line to walk because you mm-hmm. almost feel like you should be doing something because somebody else was doing it. So how did you do that? How did you meet yourself where you were at on a daily basis, whether it meant going for a long run or going for a walk? I think it kind of goes back to even what we were talking about with podcasting. It's like, what is going to be interesting to me right now? What is going to make me feel good right now? what is going to bring me joy, right? And if running for 10 miles, just to say I ran for 10 miles, wasn't going to bring me joy, I needed to make a shift. I mean, there is something really empowering about being pregnant and being like, I just ran 10 miles. Like that, that feels really badass. But if that doesn't bring you joy, you don't have to do it. It might look cool or feel cool, but if you're truly not happy and you're not enjoying it, find something that you're interested in. And I, you know, that's the same thing with, with work or what anything in life, just like if you're not doing what makes you curious or happy or joyful, like make a shift. You can't just like drop your job or you can't just like not be pregnant anymore, but you can shift what you're focusing your energy on. Yeah. That goes right back to what you talked about at the very beginning of you know, the fear of not scratching that itch is worse than the the fear of, you know, staying where you are or fear of change. Yeah. And I think that you can find some, like, like we said earlier, some things to be passionate about and spend your energy on that maybe aren't things you would have done had you not been, you know, going through a pregnancy or whatever, you know, an injury or whatever it is kind of opens the door to other worlds that you could like spend your time in. And if you think about it that way, and I'm not all like woo woo, positive, everything, like it's okay to be grumpy and like be frustrated that you're injured or be frustrated that you're uncomfortable because you're pregnant and you want to run 10 miles, but it doesn't feel good. But you, if you can get your mindset in a way where you can shift it and think about like, what can I do now that I wouldn't have had time to spend energy on? I think that you'll be a lot happier. Yeah. Like focusing on what you can do instead of what you can't do, but it's, it's easy to focus on all the things that you can't do. But really, if you don't give that all your focus, you realize, yeah, there's actually quite a a few things that I could be doing and maybe even some new things that I could explore. Yeah. That you wouldn't have even considered if you would have still been running 60 miles a week. 
So I want to talk about identity a little bit, like the identity of being like a fast runner versus like whenever you maybe are in a season where you can't quite be as fast because you can't dedicate the same amount of time to it. Has that affected you at all? I think so a little bit. You know, I think that when you've gone through seasons where you are running your best times, you know, then if you showed up up at a race and you can't run as fast as you once did, you always want to have that asterisk like, well, back in the day or, you know, like, (laughs) well, if I trained, I could probably run sub 20 in the 5k right now or whatever it is, or I could probably get close to a sub three marathon if I trained. (laughs) And so much of, of your identity actually gets wrapped up in like your training as well. I've personally been on a... I haven't run fast in a... Really fast in a really long time. I'm trying to figure out if I want to go there again because it is so, so much work. So right now I'm really focusing on like if I can get back from a run once a week or every so often and, and get those endorphins, that like really good buzz you get from a really hard effort, not just like an easy six miles, then I'm in a pretty good place. But I think that we just have to be open to knowing that we're probably not always going to be in tip top shape. We're not always going to run the fastest we've ever run, but we can get back to it and don't put age, don't limit yourself with age either. Yeah. And I think time management, like you mentioned, it's a lot of work to, to go after any goal, you know, and to try to do that goal at the highest level. And whenever you have different inputs that you once had, like, you know, you have four kids, maybe that affects you. Maybe it doesn't. For me, I know that having one son has affected my ability to be as fast as I was simply just because I don't have any childcare and people will expect themselves to be as the best. Like they say, I want to, I want to be at a certain point. I want to be the best, but they're comparing themselves to the best that they ever were whenever they had a completely different set of inputs in their life. And that sets you up for maybe disappointment and it's really hard to, again, coming back to the, that expectation thing, to have expectations that are aligned with where you're currently at with the current amount of energy and, and time that you have to put into a goal. Yeah, you know, I that's a really interesting point. And I oftentimes thought, oh, when my kids get a little bit bigger, maybe I'll have more energy <laughs> to want to run faster. But my, in all reality, my fastest marathon time was in between my second and third, no, my third and fourth babies. And it's when my kids were younger. I think the emotional energy and the physical energy that you put into your kids, it just changes as they get a little bit bigger. And also their activities, they get, they get busier. You know, I don't put my kids in a ton of stuff, but it's still like, we're still doing a lot of stuff with four of them. And I actually think back to, in 2019, so this was one year postpartum from my fourth, I ran the New York City Marathon and I knew I wasn't in shape to run a PR, but I was in a really good headspace and I had a really, really good race. I ran really strong and I celebrated that just as much as I celebrated my marathon PR. And I was, let's see, I was like 12 minutes slower than my fastest marathon time. But to me, the victory of like the mental games I played in my head and like mentally getting to that finish line at a hard effort was just as satisfying as when I ran my marathon PR two years prior. And so I think we can, we can make that shift. And I, and still to this day, I actually think that race 
was a stronger race than my marathon PR. I think I ran smarter. I think I ran tougher physically and mentally, but it was slower because I wasn't in the shape that I was in two years prior. So don't, don't let time dictate how you're going to celebrate. Yeah. I think that that is such an important lesson. Something that uh, I love talking about a lot on the podcast is that it's not necessarily about a certain outcome or a certain placing. And I mean, there are certain times where it has to be about that. If you're like trying to go to the Olympics or, you know, doing Olympic trials, like those types of things matter. But really at the end of the day, it's about a performance that you're proud of. And it might not even be like a number one result or your best result ever. But if you are proud of that performance, that means so much more than a fast time. I agree. Yeah. Because I, I think back to both of those races and I'm like, I think I'm way more proud of the mental performance I had on that day that I ran 323. I was so mentally strong. And and sometimes you're more fit, so you're going to run faster, but you might your mental game not, might not have been as sharp and and look like do I want to run a PR again? Yeah, I do. And will that will I celebrate that a lot? Yeah, I will. But I don't think that that will ever take away from, you know, what I did in New York in 2019. So I think that's really important to not lay all of the like pressure on what that end time was. And it is different if you're not a professional runner, right? Like this is, uh, you know, it'd be different if you were talking to someone who did this for their job, but I do this for a hobby. Yeah. And I even think if you are a professional, like doing it, like I've had Olympians who have won medals and they said that the most important thing for them and their goal setting is a performance that they're proud of. So the question for Mm -hmm. the listener is like, what would make you proud of a performance? Because we like, if you haven't thought about it, you might not even know what is it that makes me feel proud. And for you, what you were just saying was the mental side of things that you handled that so well. And that made you feel really, really proud of your performance. Yeah. Cause I think one of the things a lot of people, you know, people get really anxious about marathon running and races. They get nervous. Like, will I be able to execute? And I think a lot of it, if you've trained boils down to, am I going to be mentally tough enough to push through this pain? And if you, and if you did that, then you're going to be really proud. And you know, we all know if we've kind of like let up a little bit when we knew we could have put, put it on the gas a little bit more. I just actually emailed, I'm, I'm coaching a group of runners who are training for the New York city marathon. They are raising money for every mother counts. And I was just writing an email today about race day preparation to everybody. And one of the things I always tell people is that you need to have a mantra. You need to have something you're going to fall back on when it it gets hard. It's going to hurt at some point. And the mantra I wrote on my arm was from Dina Castor. This was in 2017 when I ran my marathon PR and it says, define yourself. And I had just read Dina Castor's book right before that race, Let Your Mind Run. And she talks about that a lot. And define yourself is kind of like her go-to phrase. And it's like, define yourself. I want to define myself as the kind of person who doesn't give up when it's hard, as the kind of person who's going to keep going, even when I feel like I can't. And when you're running a marathon, like it, it's not just about the marathon. You, you start drumming up inspiration for other parts of your life as well. And so I want to be the person that doesn't give up when, you know, like, I don't know what to do in a certain parenting situation because it's really hard. And a lot of times I don't know what I want to do. And I just feel like when we're out there running, those man those mantras can mean so much more than just the race itself. So coming up with something 
doesn't have to be original. I didn't make up define yourself. Tina Castor did. Um, coming up with something with something that's going to make you feel strong and is also going to relate to other areas of your life is super helpful. Yeah, that's a really good good way to come up. I don't know if it's mantra or mantra. I know. Um, I always say it wrong. I say, sure. I say mantra. So I'm probably, I don't know if I'm saying it wrong, but anyway. No, you're right. I'm um, sure you're right. I mess up words well, my he- all the my time. He- but my, my husband says mantra. So I don't actually, okay. listeners, you can decide <laughs> what you like to say, but yeah, coming up with one that really means something to you. And it sounds like the one that you picked really does tie into what your values are that, that go into all these different areas of your life. Um, I actually have a mindset academy that I put out in 2020 and it's like all the mental skills you need to do like a hard race, basically. And one of them is about picking a mantra that works for you because when it gets really, really hard and you want to quit and you're in that dark place, having something to grab onto that's meaningful to you really can help you like get through on my cycling kit this year, I got to, I get to do my own designs and I put all my favorite mantras on the sleeves and on the arm warmers to remind me like, this is why you're here. What are they? I have a bunch of them, but my favorite ones, the work is the reward is probably my favorite one because it's so easy to focus on the outcome, but really like the journey and the work is the most meaningful thing because that's who you are, what you do every Mm -hmm. single day and your actions are what define you, not the outcome of those actions. So that's why I love that one. I love that. I also love what you said. This is what I came here for. I think that's something like that. That's I that sticks with me. Like I was actually doing a tempo run yesterday. One of the longest, harder efforts I've done in probably like five or six months. And I was thinking about that when I was running because it it was getting hard. And I was like, I really want to get two more miles. I did like seven miles at a pretty sustained effort, which is far for me right now. And I got to five and I was like, I really want to get to two more in which felt like a long shot at the time. But I was saying that in my head, this is what I came here for. I want the, I want the feeling I'm going to get after I finish these next two miles. So just keep going. This is what you came here for. I also like that mantra because a lot of times when you're doing something hard, you just want it to be over. Yes. And that's what actually my newsletter is about this week is about savoring those moments and not just wishing it away. And it's so easy to wish it away because it's hard or like I do multi-day mountain bike races or like seven days long and you just want to be, you just want it to be over. Yeah. But like trying to find joy or meaning in those moments, especially when you're trying to wish it away and reminding yourself like, this is why I'm here. This is what I signed up for. This is what I came for. That helps a little bit come back to the present moment. Yeah. And just also to have a heart of gratefulness. If, if you can drum up that feeling in the midst of your pain, just like, repeat grateful. I'm grateful. I can do this. I'm grateful. This body can do this. I get to do this. Yeah. (laughs) But I I get it too. I mean, I, uh, you know, we've all been in that moment where we're like, F gratefulness. This sucks. This is so hard. (laughs) I want to quit (laughs) coming back around. Like it's okay to go down a little bit, but then you got to talk yourself off that cliff. Exactly. So I love sport because it's such a great microcosm for everything else in your life. And you mentioned already, like, yeah, whenever it gets really hard in parenting, I don't want to be giving up and I want to continue, you know, being curious and trying things. And you, you get to practice that when you're out there by yourself running. Oh, totally. And as a parent, you're showing that to your kids. Like I love that my kids get to see me work hard or that they get to know that mom can outrun me, you know, for right now, I can still outrun all my kids. Actually, yesterday, one of my six-year-old 
he was like, well, I could probably beat you in a sprint, but I think you could, I think you could go longer. I'm like, I think I could, I think so. <laughs> so I want to talk about like what a day in the life is like, because you have four kids, you have your own business and you're an athlete. So how do you like, I don't like the word balance your time, but how do you intentionally choose how to spend your time? Yeah. So first of all, our kids were all home from May to September. Like it was so hard. You know, obviously there was a good chunk of time during 2020 when they were all home a lot too because of of COVID, the pandemic. But, you know, since then, everybody's kind of going back to daycare and everything. But we moved. So our kids were home 24-7. One of the things I did during that time though is I gave up pieces of my business. So like... I have edited my own shows, my own podcast for since I started. So like 300 some episodes. And when we decided to move and my kids were home all summer, I hired someone who has been working for me doing other things for a long time. So she knows my show really well inside and out. That was one of the reasons I was scared to give up editing. Like I I wanted the person that was going to edit edit to know what I would want to be kept in, what I would want to be taken out. So I gave that up, which freed me up. I mean, probably at least probably 10 hours a week, you know, editing two shows. And so, and like post-production show notes and all that. And then um, I also gave up, I have a Patreon page and we still have it running, but I just told everybody like, I, I'm not going to put out content for three months. And, you know, like, hoping that people would stick around. Maybe some of them would, maybe some of them wouldn't. And we did lose a good handful. Uh, But we just published our first Patreon episode from that break again. So that felt really good. But my point is with all my kids being home, I had to make a decision. I had to give up some work because I just... I would have drowned. I would have been up till midnight working and just resentful of my husband who works an eight to five job and you know all these things. So now... My kids are in school. My big boys go to school nine to four and my little boys go to school nine to one. So it's not a very long day with for them being gone. So I just intentionally schedule my interviews while they're at school and try to be structured when they get home. Like they're going to rest for an hour. They're not like napping. They're watching Paw Patrol. But yeah, I think just like structuring my day and also just giving things up or rescheduling things if they need to be rescheduled, not feeling like I have to stick like glue to a certain plan, which is why I wanted to work for myself in the first place. I wanted to have the flexibility to not have to stick to an exact plan. That being said, I am getting my episodes out on Fridays and I'm getting my episodes out on Tuesdays. Those are the two things that are non-negotiables. Yeah. So you have your like keystone actions that absolutely need to happen. But then back to what we talked about earlier, I asked you about consistency and you said that you're able to give yourself grace and take your foot off the gas in certain places when you need to. That way, whenever you can dedicate that energy, it's still there. And yeah, it's just so hard to do what what you've done. And I just want to give you so much props and kudos for that because that's really inspiring to me. Something I've had to do as well you know, my son was born March 15th, 2020. <laughs> so yeah, like there's been, I so can't much imagine. there's been so much learning in that. I mean, cause you, you all that had babies, especially in March, 2020, I mean, different than March, 2021, even, you know, like that was when like, nobody knew what was going on. You all just 
you weren't able to have the support that the rest of us have when we had babies, you know, and it was just an entirely different ball game. Postpartum is a very lonely time. I cannot imagine being in my house, not seeing my regular friends and family on a regular basis. So, I mean, my heart goes out to all of you guys who went through that because I cannot imagine how difficult that must have been. Have you recovered? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, we still don't have childcare. I think it's harder now than it was then because, well, with my podcast, I did like three, I, I actually pre recorded three months in advance so I could take a podcast maternity leave. But yeah, it was, it was hard, but yeah, I think it actually feels harder now. <laughs> Oh, sure. Well, now he's now he's active and and into things. You know, somebody I one of my friends posted this long post about how her mom has been by her side and helping her so much since her baby was born. And anyway, the gist of the post was like she was giving her mom like all this thanks. But then it kind of went back to like, isn't this how it was supposed to be? Like we used to raise kids like this together with our families and our friends. And I feel Mm -hmm. like in today's culture, we feel like we have to do everything on our own and we can give into that culture or we don't have to. And I know that's hard. I mean, we just moved far, far away from my family. So, you know, we don't have family help right now at all. But yeah, there's something really beautiful about cultures who raise families together with the aunts and uncles and and grandmas and everybody's kind of helping each other out. And so I don't know, we're just, we've kind of like made it so that postpartum can be really lonely, you know? Yeah. The way our culture views parenthood and like even the way that we live, like a lot of other cultures, multi-generational, multi-generational living in under one roof so that it's already built in. Yeah. And I think if you can remind yourself of that when you feel really lonely and it feels really hard, I mean, it is so hard when you have little, little kids. I can't, I mean, I'm, my youngest is three and I feel like I have really turned a corner, but when you have babies crawling all over you and your four-year-old's having a temper tantrum, I mean, you just lay on the floor and cry. I, I did it lots of times and if you can just remind yourself, like, I'm really like, probably am not meant to be alone right now. I think that can kind of help, even though, even if you're still alone, because it kind of just sheds a light on the fact that you're doing this, you're doing it all by yourself yeah, right now. Yeah. That goes back to giving yourself and treating yourself with grace again, that you are really good at articulating. And I say that as someone who has a partner, but I, he works full-time, whatever, like, you know, those stay-at-home years for me, those stay-at-home mom years for me were really hard. So like full credit to those parents who are doing it by themselves. I cannot imagine. I can't either. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit for the last few minutes. I know that you love reading and that you spend a lot of time every day making time to read. What do you get from reading? Like, what does that do for you? Well, two things. I like to learn when I read. So I'm always trying to read a book that is going to help me like grow business mindset, spiritual mindset, parenting mindset. I crave that. I feel like if I'm not learning something, I'm missing out. And then I also really love to read for fun. I just love to get lost in a story that is silly and and not important and also probably not realistic. So yeah, I just like to get lost in in both of those things. 
Yeah, I found myself like I hadn't read fiction in years. Like I read a lot of nonfiction, just trying I to bet learn. You do. Like you said. And then last year I was like, you know what? I need to just start reading fiction. So now I always have a fiction book that I read before bed and it's so much fun. And I used to feel yes. guilty about that. Like I should be spending this time being productive and then bringing in that rest and that grace. Something I've been working on is like, no, like you don't need to be learning and doing every single second. You can just read a book for fun. Yeah, like the two books for learning I'm reading right now. I'm reading Roar. I can never say that word right by Stacey Roar? Sims. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's yeah. She's been on my podcast, and that's the most downloaded episode I've oh, ever had. Oh, I need to listen to that. Thanks for telling me. I'll listen to that. I was thinking I'd pitch her once I get through the whole book. I've wanted to read it for a long time, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier with my cycle, <laughs> like mm-hmm. how I'm a better person at certain pr- times of the month. I'm learning. I'm learning so much on this book. I'm like talking to my husband. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is why I don't sleep well half the month because my yeah. hormones are doing crazy stuff. But anyway, and then I'm li- I'm reading 14 Talks Before 14 by Michelle Eichard, which is a book about 14 talks to have with your kids before they turn 14. And like, those aren't books I want to read before bed. Those are books I want to read in the morning to start my day and get me inspired. So then before bed, like you said, or if I'm waiting for soccer practice to be over or traveling or whatever, that's my time to read the fun stuff. And what's uh, the most fun book you've read recently that you want to put out there? So I love Taylor Jenkins Reid. She's the author of Daisy Jones and the Six. And I read that book last summer. And I since then, I've read all of her books. She just had a new one come out, new-ish, called Malibu Rising. And her books are so fun. They're so well-written. They're, they're funny. The character development is so good. And she has a little bit of like celebrity-ness to each of her books. Like one of her books is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And Evelyn Hugo is this woman in Hollywood. So I don't know. It just kind of has like a dreamy, fun uh, outline. So I would I would recommend diving into her books if people are looking for some mindless, fun reads. I actually just finished two days ago, The Seven uh, Dresses of Evelyn Hugo. Um, and I, I'm terrible at remembering author names. When you said that name, I'm like, is that the author of the book I just read? And then, yeah, that yeah, book was yeah. like, I, I actually think the title is a bad title because I thought it was going to be about like fashion or something. And I just, someone recommended it. I was kind of like, eh, I don't really want to read about dresses, but it has nothing to do with dresses. <laughs> But it's uh, it's the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, but there's yeah. a big green dress on the front of the book, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Seven husbands. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the, the you... dress made there. The picture is this big green dress. So you think yeah. that. Yeah, I still don't. I still think that. Well, I mean, she's a an amazing author and I don't know anything about it. So this is just me being totally ignorant, saying I don't like the title because I almost didn't read it because of the title. And it's such a great book. It's not really about the husbands at all. It's about her. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I love that you do your, um, your kind of like learning and nonfiction reading in the morning to build inspiration. And then you have your fiction reading at night so that you can like have fun and relax. Yeah. And the parenting books I read, like sometimes I'm like ignoring my kids when I'm reading the parenting books and I'm like, I should probably put this down and like do what the book's telling me to do. (laughs) So reading every day, running most days, what are some other things that you do that bring you joy? I love having a clean kitchen. You know that people always say like, just let the dishes pile up. You know, like you only live once. They're only little ones. And I'm like, yes, but I am happy if my kitchen is clean. So I always tell my husband, I'm like, if any, if, if the rest of the house is a total shit show, as long as my kitchen's clean, 
I am happy. But I would say for me, and this is really hard right now because we just moved and I'm trying really hard to make new friends. Um, Just being in community, like I need people. I think we all need people. And the sooner we realize that, the, the better we'll all be. And so being in community with the people that live close to me is really important to me. We had built a really awesome group of friends where we lived in Indianapolis. And so leaving that group was really a big challenge. And so in our new neighborhood, you know, we've met tons of neighbors and everything, but that is something that I've been struggling with because I know what brings me joy is being in close community with the people who live in close proximity to me. And again, going back to the the cultural thing, like we were talking about raising our kids with our families. It's like, I think that's what your neighbors are there for too. However, people don't always live like that now. So um, there's kind of a fine balance of figuring out if neighbors want to live like that, you know? So um, yeah, being in close community with people who live in close proximity with me brings me joy. Yeah. That's something that I've been learning about too. Am I, we moved as well, like probably around when you guys moved and in our old neighborhood, like there was nobody that like, we knew our neighbors, but we weren't like friends with our neighbors. And we tried, but it just, it just wasn't working. We'd invite them over, but then there'd be no, like they they wouldn't always say hi to us when they saw us and things like that. So we're like, huh, that's kind of weird. And then we moved to another town. We moved to Squamish because we wanted to be around people with similar values. And we knew that if we moved to this town, we'd be around, it'd be at least easier to make friends in the town. But then the neighborhood we just randomly moved into, it's crazy. There's like, I I don't even know how many little boys within five months of Bradley, Bradley's age. Like it's just crazy. I'm I'm actually kind of worried about when they're older, like homes burning down and (laughs) all the the chaos is going to happen with all these little boys everywhere. But it's been such a shift. And you know, I'm sure that you experienced this too. Like so much of our lives is digital with our businesses and like having social media and all these things Mm -hmm. that we forget the importance of face-to-face contact with somebody that you could just see on the street and have a conversation with and actually have something in common. Yeah. I mean, it's, you just, it's not replaceable. You can't replace that with a screen in front of your face, no matter how close you feel with your online community. It's just, it's, it's not the same thing. And it was never meant to be the same thing. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I get to talk to you forever. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and your podcasts and all that good stuff? So on Instagram, I'm lindsayhine626. On Twitter, I'm at lindsayhine. Uh, my website's lindsayhine.com. And um, you can also learn more about my podcasts at sandyboyproductions.com. Both of those websites are getting a facelift. And I'm so excited they'll be new in about two weeks. But for now, you can visit the old scrubby sites. <laughs> Big props. I just redid my website. At the time of this recording, it'll finally be out. But it's been like six months of working on it with the web designer. Oh, it's yeah. Just so much work. And I just... I just forgot how much work it is to relaunch a website. So it's yeah. so much work. I'm like, can you guys <laughs> just do everything? Like, can you just be inside my brain? I don't know how to edit this. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for everything that you do. And I'm so grateful that you came on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad that Lindsay came on the show and I hope you got as much out of that as I did. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe the show. If that's something that you enjoy doing, we certainly appreciate it. 
We also love it when you share the show with your friends on social media or just telling them about the show because helping others find the show can help them find their best too. And if you want more from me, make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly newsletter that comes out every single Monday that has a motivation and mindset article, the podcast of the week, and so much more. I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here next week.